People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Back with another Kidney Talk. Now, we have something really special today, very important and close to everybody's heart out there, is organ transplants. And our guest is who? It's going to be Brian Stewart. I love Brian Stewart. (laughs) And you know, right now, there are over 92,000 people waiting for a transplant in the United States, according to UNOS. The United to who? Is that Unos. your uncle? <laughs> you, uncle you know, you know. Um, no, it's you know, you know, it's United Network for Organ Sharing. Oh, how many? Ninety what thousand? Ninety-two thousand. Ninety-two thousand. Wow. Yes, and you know that the first successful organ transplant was performed in 1954 at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Boston. That's like I always think of Brigham and Young in, in Utah, but that's Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and you know the the transplant was conducted between a, a recipient and their twin brother. So what, was it a successful transplant? It was. It did work. And you know since nineteen fifty four, we've a, come a long way. I, I guess you can't have a more perfect match than a twin brother or sister. You. I don't think you can. Nineteen fifty four. That was the year I was born. Was it really? Yeah. Oh wow. That's a. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite word. That's a good sign. <laughs> or my favorite statement. Well, Brian's getting bored sitting over here waiting for us to finish this opening. So, so um, well, here we have with us today, Brian Stewart is the Director of Communication at One Legacy, the nonprofit federally designated organ and tissue recovery agency serving the seven-county greater Los Angeles area. He is also an administrator of the Donate Life California Organ and Tissue Donor Registry. So when we come back, we're going to be talking to Brian Stewart. And get your donor cards out. Honey, did you restrict your fluids today? Yes, dear. Did you turn your back on potatoes, bananas, and avocados? I took a quick peek and then looked the other way. Did you eat all your protein? Lovely weather we're having, isn't it? Honey, you know you need your protein because of the dialysis. Having a hard time with the protein? Do you loathe liver? Are you baffled at the massive amounts of beef? Are you terrified of tofu? Then try drinking your protein, and I'm not talking about liver beef tofu smoothies. Protein powder that you can buy at your local store is perfect and delicious way to get that protein when you need it. Just make sure you read the label. Low sodium, low potassium, and low sugar. You know the drill, so next time someone asks... Did you eat all your protein today? You can say... Not only did I eat it, but I loved it. I had a breakfast shake, and then I put some in my coffee, and then I made some muffins with it, and then I... There are protein powders out there that have as much as 24 grams of protein in just one serving. No sugar and low in sodium and potassium. So drink up and be healthy. We're here with Brian Stewart, and, you know, tell us a little bit about One Legacy, and, you know, what do they do? 
Well, first of all, I just want to say how happy I am to be here, Lori, Stephen. You look um, happy. I, I mean, I, I've never seen such a happier guy in my life. You know, I I'm can't a, stand it. I'm a pretty happy guy. What can I say? I've got, you know, a, a great mission in life, mm-hmm. uh, supporting organ and tissue donation. And One Legacy is a really important part of that equation here in Southern California. Uh, we're one of 58 organ procurement organizations in the United States. That's our federal term. And what is like organ procurement Mm -hmm. agency? Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Absolutely. Um, We have a special responsibility from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and Health and Human Services to be responsible stewards of the organ donation process within a specific geographic area. So for instance, One Legacy uh, has that responsibility for a seven-county area in Southern California. No other organization has that responsibility because they don't want there to be any kind of competition uh, right. for organs within an area. So what happens mm-hmm. is, is, unfortunately, somebody passes away, yes. a deceased donor, yes. um, then basically you help coordinate getting mm-hmm. that organ to the right transplant facility and the right patient, correct? That's what we do. Our primary mission is to work together very closely with the hospitals in Southern California because the whole process begins with a hospital notifying us that a patient has come into the hospital that is presenting medical conditions that may lead that person to become an organ donor. Usually that involves a, um, a severe head injury mm-hmm. Um where the patient may progress to brain death. And then what we do is we follow the case, but we also support the family. You so know? you send people out to help support the family, that to help do. make the decision about giving the gift of life. That we do. And it's a difficult time for a family because in almost all cases with organ donation, it's very sudden. There's no opportunity for emotional closure that comes with a long-term illness like cancer. Right. So their last words to their family member may have been, okay, turkey tonight. See you later. And that's right. it. So Because it's not a chronic illness. Usually the donors come from people who have a, a, a quick accident <laughs> yes. of some sort. Over half the time, it's an aneurysm or some other kind of bleeding in the brain. But you're also dealing with motor vehicle accidents, mm-hmm. near drownings, a gunshot wound to the head, things that cause a trauma to the brain that uh, such that... Uh, fresh blood and oxygen can't get into the brain right. and the brain dies. Well, now, how do you actually, I mean, in that kind of situation, that traumatic of a situation for the family members, how do you bring up the subject? You know, it's the last thing they want to hear. Uh, and sometimes it's the last thing they want to hear, but also sometimes because the situation they're dealing with it's so out of their control that the family embraces the opportunity to take control of a situation and make a decision for their loved one. Um, The first thing we do is help the family understand their patient's condition, uh, their loved one's condition, and a hospital doesn't have a lot of time to do that. An ER and an ICU, they have staff that are devoted to saving lives. That's what they do. Um, So the first thing we have to do is help them understand that if their loved one is on a ventilator um, and their brain has died but the body is still functioning because, you know, through mechanical means, they look okay. Mm -hmm. There's no external signs that their loved one has died. So the first thing, before we bring up donation, the family needs to understand that their loved one has died. Right. They need to do that. Um, There are some coordinators that we have that are very straightforward about that. They will go up and they will say... 
we need to understand something here that right. your loved one has died. Others have a much more emotional approach to the family. They, you know, if that family is crying, they're crying with the family. So it's a very, you know. God, that I, must be such a stressful job for the people is. who go in and deal with the families who've lost somebody that they've loved. Very stressful. And then go ahead and ask, would you like to donate the organs? Yeah, what they will do is guide them through the process and say, there's an opportunity for you uh, to make a decision on behalf of your loved one. And let us tell you a little bit about what that is and how that might be a way that you can honor your loved one. But whether they say yes or no at the end, we still feel a responsibility to support that family and right. make sure that they felt cared for so in they, the hospital. So if they say no, you don't go see ya. Absolutely not. <laughs> Sorry. No, we'll still yeah. offer some you know, aftercare services right. if they need it or we'll, we'll guide them to uh, funeral homes. Um, you know, we're part, we're kind of an extension of the hospital in that way. And so we want to make sure they feel like the hospital took care of them. Well, also too, I mean, I would think if you're educating the family and they ultimately decide no for whatever reason, it impacts that whole family to maybe if something happens or just for them Mm -hmm. to bring up the discussion. Mm -hmm. So have you ever had a situation where somebody said no, but then a month later they wished that their family member was a donor. I can't and it cite, probably educated. Right, it's a good question. And I can't cite one in particular, but I know some research has been done that shows that about for all of the families that say to no to donation, 30% later wish they had said yes to donation. Wow. So there is a regret later on, but it's so sudden. Um, we also know of a family that she knew very well her daughter wanted to be a donor. She uh, was in a car accident, 17 years old, and had not did not say yes to donation and then walked uh, her daughter's grandparents out to the car and was going to go back and be there when they turned off the ventilator. And she overheard a conversation of a family that was mourning the loss of their 18-year-old daughter who had died because she hadn't received a heart transplant. Oh, wow. And she truly believes, she wrote this in a letter to us, she truly believes that her family, that her daughter had meant for her to hear that conversation. Communicating with her in some way. Yeah, in some way. So she went back into the hospital and said yes, and now she's so glad she did. She realizes, you know, that was never my decision to make. That was Alicia's decision to make. And she's so proud of that now. But at that time, you just can't see it that clearly. You can't see it. You have, and I've never been in that situation, but I suspect, too, that it's, you can't make any decisions, mm-hmm. so you just choose not to make one. I've heard um, our coordinators say that families are typically thinking around the fourth grade level, like that's your level of comprehension. I mean, it's oh, just really? a fog. Yes, it's very, right. you just can't go into too much detail. And, and a lot of families, I think at that time too, really need some guidance. You know, I mean, they're entering uncharted territory, and it's the most awful thing you can imagine. And having someone who's experienced and has dealt with this loss and other families that have been through this kind of loss, it's not that you're trying to take them down a path they wouldn't want to go on, but they need a little bit of that guidance of, you know, here are some reasons why donation could be a really positive thing for you. Exactly. Here's how something here's a way it could honor your loved one, you know. And again, we don't want to get them to make a decision they wouldn't make otherwise, but right. sometimes they need a little bit of a helping hand. And, and the real key is is just to be educated before you have to make that decision. And that's what I know mm-hmm. a big uh, is a big push of the efforts of One Legacy and yes. groups around the country. Not um, only educated but registered. Exactly, that's the best registered. Thing you can do. Well, we're going to take a quick break and mm-hmm. we're going to come back and we're going to hear about all the initiatives that are taken across the country locally mm-hmm. and nationally about mm-hmm. to improve organ donation. When you think back about your high school years, one of the strongest memories people have is their prom. 
It's their one night to shine, one night to dance the night away, one night to ride in a stretch limo, one night to feel like a star. This January 14th, the Renal Support Network will hold its eighth annual premiere event, the Renal Teen Prom. This is the chance for teens to stop thinking about the needle sticks, the PD exchanges, and the constant meds they have to take. For one night, they celebrate their life with hundreds of other teen kidney patients, and the only prescription is, have the time of your life. So this January 14th, join us on the campus of prestigious Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California. The prom features live entertainment, a renal-friendly dinner, dancing, limo rides, glamour photos, and Hollywood celebrities. And get this, it's absolutely free. To receive an invitation or make a donation to an Evening Among the Stars renal teen prom, visit rsnhope.org or call 818-543-0896. That's 818-543-0896. You've got the power to brighten someone's life. This is your chance to shine like the stars. If you'd like to receive information and materials regarding transplantation, join the Transplant Experience Program by calling 1-877-482-7627. When you enroll, you'll receive a free transplant information kit, including a resource journal and your own copy of this video, Sharing the Experience. The Transplant Experience Program provides information, tools, resources, and inspiration to patients at every stage of the transplant process all free of charge. Call 877-482-7627 today and join Transplant Experience, sponsored by Estellas. Find me a chance to say, hey, I love you never again to be We're back learning more about how to donate organs and all the uh, UNOS. Is that how is it? UNOS? The United Network for Organ Sharing, UNOS. Yes. UNOS. I have a question now. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I have a question. (laughs) question. Wow. Are there there certain (laughs) religions or cultures that don't allow organ transplants? All major religions around the world are supportive of donation except for one, and that is Shinto, which is a religion in Japan. So there's a categoric prohibition, but otherwise all religions are supportive. And uh, the largest religion, Roman Catholic Church, the Pope is actually a registered organ donor in Germany before he became Pope. So I would say that would qualify as the church being supportive. If was somebody that old, I don't think I'd want his organs. (laughs) You know, a lot of people um, rule themselves out of being an organ donor because they think they're too old. And people would be stunned that uh, how many donors are in their 60s, sometimes early 70s. And within the last month and a half or so, there was actually a kidney donor in Houston, Texas, 93 years old. Oh, my he goodness. donated a kidney? Yes. He became, I'm he so a kidney surprised donor. that they would even take his yeah. kidney. Well, there are some extended, because of the need, there is a, a, right. a considerable shortage. We're all older aware kidneys of that. to older people. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so they call those extended criteria donors, and um, they are organs that might not go to a younger person, but someone who's older that could still benefit from you know the function of a kidney for another five, ten years. Um, great. So we certainly every single donor every single time. That's we have a real focus case by case to make sure that we're taking advantage. You know, there's lots of myths about everything. What is the most common myth or misconception mm-hmm. about organ mm-hmm. donation? Uh, the big one we hear a lot, and it's funny when people when people admit to it, they often smile because they think it's kind of silly. But a lot of people think if they know I'm an organ donor, if they see the dot or the symbol on my driver's license that says I'm a donor, they won't work as hard to save me. <laughs> like there's, it. yeah, I hear that all the time too. All the time, and the fact is this: first of all, hospitals take every single death in their hospital very, very seriously. They are in the Mm -hmm. business of saving lives. They're not thinking, when a patient's coming in, they're not thinking downstream. They are thinking right here, right now. The second thing is in order to be an organ donor, the thing that you can't let happen is to let the patient die. You must give the patient the most aggressive, life-saving treatment possible. They need to go on a ventilator right away. You need to maintain the blood pressure. Mm -hmm. You need to maintain fluid levels. All of those things that help to contribute to saving a life also contribute to someone being a candidate to donate if they don't live. So So believe me, it is... And we there, aren't, and we aren't even brought into the process until the prognosis so is so grim no that yeah. yes, the likelihood is very high that the patient will simply die of brain death, and that's why we're called. But late in the game, tell us some of the initiatives that are taking place across the country mm-hmm. and locally here mm-hmm. in California mm-hmm. to improve, um, you know, donation. Right. Well, there are two major initiatives that I can just, as as categories that I can speak to. There's been a very important one uh, that's actually been kind of quiet that no one would really have been aware of, but that's made a huge difference in donation for the past three years. There's a program called the Organ Donation Breakthrough Collaborative. It's a program that is run out of the Department of Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. And it was launched in 2003 with beginning with a fact, and that is that... 90% of organ donors come from the largest 300 hospitals in the country. Wow. And 75% of organ donors come from the largest 100 hospitals in the country. So they said this, let's start with the first 100 hospitals, the largest ones, and let's find the ones that are doing a really good job at getting people to say yes to donation. Okay. We call that a conversion rate. Okay. Okay. There's someone's a candidate to be a donor and then they donate. That is a conversion. So what they did is they gathered these hospitals and said, guys, this is about sharing. This is about sharing best practices and we're going to take best practices and make them common practices. So within the last three years, they started with 100, spread it to the next 200, and they've spread it even further now. We've actually seen organ donation go up 20% in two years. Because you're just basically following best practices. Because, yes, the hospitals, they play such a crucial role in this, and there's three fundamental things that they can do every single time that will greatly increase the, the possibility that the potential organ donor becomes an actual one. It wasn't happening all the time before this program, and now it does. Number one, the hospital must call 
the OPO, the Organ Procurement Organization, every single time there's a potential donor. doesn't mean 90% of the time. doesn't mean 95 it, it means every time. And if it's coming from Medicare, it's probably a condition of payment. It is. A, yes, it's it's a, it's a huge priority. Let's put it that <laughs> way. And, Jake, and JCO, the accreditation. Yeah, Lori's no – she knows all that yeah. stuff about payments and money. Yeah, and, right. and it's a condition on the of take. coverage yes. probably that well, they – Well, it's, it's a JCO. They mm-hmm. will get dinged on their accreditation if they don't do it. Number two is that not only call us every time. But call us within an hour. Okay? Do it quick so that we can get on the scene quickly. And then number three, the physician that informs the family that their loved one has passed away should not at the same time or even afterwards ask the family if they want to donate. I mean, would you want to hear... The same physician right. that it's just somebody gave different. Right. It's, so it's somebody different, right? Yeah, yes. it's someone different. Totally, not only a person who's different, but a team of people. Right. With people from the hospital and people from One Legacy or other organizations like us that work together to figure out what's this family going through. What are their dynamics? What is their culture? What is their language? Who's the decision maker? All of these factors they come into play, and we work as a team to figure out what's the best way to present the opportunity to donate to the family. So that's on the hospital side. side. Okay. Huge, huge effort. The second thing is in the general public, how do we inspire people to donate? To me, and I'll just get on my soapbox for a second, okay. it's not just about educating. You know, educating is facts. Okay, right. I know the facts now. It's not about awareness. Okay, it exists. It's about inspiring. It's right. about people experiencing a story about donation or meeting someone who's touched by it and it touches their heart and it makes them committed to supporting this. So ways that we can do that, um, obviously stories that we can place in the media are very, very Mm -hmm. powerful. Uh, The media continues to have a fascination with donation and transplant. Yes, it's a hot story right now. I mean, you you can't open a paper Mm -hmm. anymore and not hear about transplantation. Absolutely. And one thing we do every holiday season is we actually put a float in the Rose Parade because we figure... I've worked on the float. You know, I thought you looked familiar. Did I see you on the float last year? I haven't ridden it. I'm actually not Oh. Qualified to ride, you You're have to be. You have yes. to have, be a transplant recipient, or uh-huh. donor family member, or a living donor. You have to be first person connected to donation. Oh, I yes. see. And what's the float? Is it like a large kidney? Uh, <laughs> Well, there's all organs. We just can't get self-centered. So your your organization does all kinds of organs, right? Yeah, absolutely. We recover every kind of organ, um, all of them, and um, but we would probably never feature one on a rose parade float. It would be kind of tacky. The opportunity is that we want to tell a story. You know, here's all the media comes to Pasadena. They're Mm -hmm. looking for a great story. They're looking for human interest. They're looking for connection. I mean, how many times have you seen the story about how many seeds, how many flowers? For us, it's about how many lives are touched by what we're creating here. So each of the last two years, um, last year we had almost 150 stories Mm -hmm. uh, nationwide just about our float and the people that are writing it and how special they are. And that's something that we do proactively because we want to – we want people to see this on this joyous day in Pasadena, except when it's raining. I know. It and rained last year, it didn't hard. it? I, I, was, I yeah. remember that. But we want people to see that and say, that's the kind of club I want to belong to. Look how those people are just so proud of well, being part of this. Well, I decorated the float one year, and I have to say that the transplant recipients, when we were there, we were decorating all the other floats, too. Absolutely. There, we had such a turnout of people out there decorating Absolutely. that mm-hmm. the other floats— 
didn't have enough people, so they needed us. That's right. So we were able we've to give back part- to the community. We've even formed partnership with other floats. We did one with Kodak a couple years ago, and in exchange for us decorating their float, they put images of organ donors on their float, and we oh, had wow. the donor families actually come and decorate their loved ones' faces. It was very, very powerful oh, wow. that and got a lot of media on that's, that's great. Now, now, if somebody wants to donate an organ, how do they go about to do it? They tell their postman or what? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every state is different, unfortunately, but it's actually the most efficient way to do it because there's no national registry. Um, There's no turnstile that everyone in the country walks through. However, on a state level, everyone walks through the DMV. That's why a lot of donor registries are actually set up with the DMV as a collection point for the donation decision. Is that where the little pink dot goes on the driver's license? In California, it's a pink dot. In other states, it's a heart. Oh, really? It's not a pink dot across the... I thought the pink dot was everywhere. Pink dot is a California thing. For 21 years, we've seen pink dots. In Wisconsin, it's a little piece of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) It's all different kinds of things. All different kinds of things. You know, in Texas, it might be a star. You know, they don't do it yet, but they will be. They may put a star on there. So it's really however, you know, you choose to communicate with your community. But the best thing you can do is get on a donor registry. It's because... Let's look at California. For 30 years, we've had donor cards and pink dots. It relies on that donor card or pink dot being there when you're meeting with the family. And if that's not there, if that piece of paper isn't there... The loved one's wishes don't exist right, it, unless they've had a conversation. Exactly. With the registry, it's like a virtual donor card. You can just look it up, and if this person's registered, it's legally binding. It's legal consent, which the pink dot is not. That's just not. a symbol. Here's an interesting scenario. Somebody, let's say somebody has a car accident, you know, they're young, but they're, you know, there's no next to kin around. Mm-hmm. Can you take the organs? Well, we call those John Doe cases, meaning where you can't even identify what family this person is from. Yeah, um, there are some cases uh, where after um, a very, very diligent search that we can simply not identify who this person is or where they're from. As long as the case is pretty cut and dry, you know, I Mm -hmm. think there are some things where the coroners may have some concerns. But thanks to some legislation, um, obviously a coroner case is not a hit by a car kind of thing. But a lot of times our John Doe cases are more about crime than they are about getting hit by a car. Um, But when we see that happen, uh, we can do a diligent search and then proceed, you know, if need be. So... You know, now, I know mm-hmm. people know about heart mm-hmm. transplant, lung transplant, and kidney transplant. Mm-hmm. Is there a part of the body that people might not think can be transplanted that it can be transplanted? People will be surprised that the small intestine can be transplanted. And they'd probably be surprised because they never hear about it. Right. It's extremely rare. I haven't heard rare. that at all. Yeah, I actually met my very first uh, bowel recipient um, about a month and a half ago, a young girl, 10 years old, named Patricia. And her donor was about nine years old, died of an aneurysm. And there are some children that are born with a congenital defect to the intestine. It simply doesn't work. Um, So for the first nine years of her life, she was unable to eat and unable to go to school. And here she was. And that's what she said is we asked her, how does it feel now? And she said, I can eat cake. And, and now I'm in fourth grade, anything. and I have you know, friends. You just, you just don't make the connection how one you know, affects the other, do exactly. you? Exactly. And that's amazing. I think that points to a bigger thing about transplantation is that, I mean, I can eat cake. Here right. you are. Something that you take for granted. Everybody takes for yeah. granted. Or, or people that I can breathe. 
Right. You know, with I can the lungs. take a deep I've met a breath lot of with lung my lungs. Recipients, yes. Yeah. And, you know, being around folks like that, it just really centers you and makes you value everything that you have. Um, because, I mean, here are folks that are just right. thankful for every day they're waking up and you sense it in them. You sense this joy of just living. And it's a beautiful thing. Well, I always feel lucky that you know, I needed a kidney transplant because there's dialysis available, but the other people who need the other organs don't have that liberty. So That's it right. really is life and death. That's right. And especially when you meet people, they're so close to dying. One of our yes. float riders last year, Kathy Hassan, mm-hmm. I mean, she was 24 hours from dying. Her body was hemorrhaging. She'd been sick for 10 years. And you should see her now. She got a liver transplant. She's beautiful. She's working full time. She got married last December. Wow. I mean, it's remarkable the ability of the body to regenerate after such dire illness. I saw uh, a item on Fox News Channel where one of the reporters uh, had a baby, mm-hmm. and the baby was in dire need of a, a liver transplant. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took a uh, part of the mom's liver, yes. and they grew, gave it to the baby, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, yes. that, and that, that worked that way. Yes. What, does your organization have a stance on... Uh, stem cell research and what their opinion is about that? Um, Not an official stance, but I can tell you we want to see lives saved. Right. You know, I mean, we take great joy in the ability of our work to help people that are in need. So the way I see it is anything that can be done that is, uh, you know, that is not against the law, (laughs) that can help people live and help lead to cures is a wonderful thing. It is about life. Well, in closing, maybe you can share some ideas for the people listening. What can they do to inspire people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are listening, are waiting for transplants, mm-hmm. healthcare professionals. What can they do to help educate the community mm-hmm. about giving the decision, um, giving the gift of life? Yes. Or just convincing them, twisting their arm. Yeah. You know, come on, be an organ donate, do- donor. Yeah. You know, I think the thing is, is a lot of people are living, you know, with kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them has a story. how kidney disease affects them, how holding out hope for a transplant keeps them going, even when they're facing the ups and downs that come with dialysis, and knowing when they can communicate to someone, whether it's one-on-one or with a large group, maybe at a house of worship or a civic organization, somewhere where you have a captive audience, to say, not to guilt people into it, but to say, you know what, you have an amazing power. You have a power to help somebody like me. Not just help me, because that seems selfish. It's important to say, somebody like me, like all the people that are waiting, you have a power to help them by just making a simple decision to donate or even being a living donor. Exactly. Personalize it. I mean, people don't really realize, you know, it doesn't affect me until it comes into your little circle. Statistics. And you have to let people know your story to make a difference. Statistics do not inspire people. People inspire people. Exactly. So make it personal and make it positive. Exactly. It's really funny. I was on the internet the other day, you know, looking for a kidney. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I was amazed at how many websites there are that will, uh, you know, sell you a kidney overseas. Mm -hmm. I I was amazed. And they they named the price. You know, India was like $80,000. I hear you. It's, uh, I, I take comfort in the fact that the system is so well-regulated here in the United States. Um, I trade great pride in that. And because of the things that go on overseas, there are some people that think there's a black market here in America, and there simply isn't. Well, I think the positive thing is is that 
the transplantation works and it it does do wonders for people. So mm-hmm. it just drives more people to want organs and want transplants. That's right. And so it just creates a need. And yes. that's going to you know, evolve into these black markets that you talked about. Right. I mean, I would have done it, but it didn't include free shipping. So I (laughs) decided to pass. Did you go on eBay? (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming. That that was so informative. And we're going to see you on the float this year, right? No, you can't be on the float. He pushes the float. He pushes the float. He isn't on the float. I'm behind the scenes, but we have some amazing people that are riding this year, um, all of them with incredible stories of courage in the face of adversity. And uh, we just look forward to presenting that to the world. It's something for people to get. You know, this represents everyone each year. It's a moving memorial to donors and a tribute to recipients and the example they represent. So every New Year's Day is our day. Sounds great. Terrific. Thanks for coming by. Okay. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Lori. Well, now that I have mastered Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, how many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? Let's see what my next challenge will be. It's in here somewhere. Say this three times fast. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Now if I only knew what that means. A fistula should be your first choice for your dialysis access. It says here, less infection and less hospitalizations. That's good. Yes. <laughs> Lasts longer. Some patients have had their fistula for more than 30 years. Oy. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. For more information, please visit fistulafirst.org. Do it now. Wasn't that fascinating? I mean, we learned so much. I didn't know you could get an intestine transplant. I know. I mean, you know, so many things can be transplanted. Skin, tissue, eyes, all kinds of of stuff. One of the most interesting experiences I had, one of the most touching experiences I ever had as an actor, you know, doing the show St. Elsewhere, playing a doctor and everything, we had an episode one time where the chief surgeon... Uh, of the hospital, his son gets in an accident, and he's on call. The uh, doctor is, and his son dies, and his son is a donor, and he's the only doctor on call, and he has to transplant his son's heart into another patient. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and the scene of the doctor holding his son's heart and putting it in another body. I was not even in the scene, and I was on the sidelines just weeping my eyes out. These were just wonderful actors. William Daniels is the actor, and he. It was just such an incredible scene that I just I will always remember that scene on St. Elsewhere. 
transplantation, when it comes home, when it, you know, it hits home, you tell your story, like Brian suggested that we all do, tell our story. It makes an impact because until you feel it, like statistics don't make people make decisions. It's right, the personal that's exactly stories. what he said. It's the personal story. People don't get affected by statistics. It's the personal stories. Yes. And uh, if, if you would like to share a, a way with how you're inspiring people in the community to think about organ donation, to make this difficult decision, you know, please email us at kidneytalk at rsnhope.org. Or you can leave us a voicemail message at 866-379-HOPE. That's 866-379-4673. And we might just play it on the air because I think it's so important that everybody has a unique individual story. And, you know, it's the personal stories that help touch other people's lives. Now, if we play it on the air, what do they get? What do they get? uh, They're going to get a Kidney Talk mug and a pen. Mug and a pen. Yes. Fantastic. So call us, write us, join us again next week and have fun and and stay happy and healthy. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information.